It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, advocates for medical marijuana protest outside the Mississippi Supreme Court. Then, a water provider in the Delta managed to do what many couldn't during February's ice storm. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, civil rights hero C.T. Vivian is honored in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We want a special session. We want you to enact medical marijuana and make it look exactly like Initiative 65. And we want you to fix the ballot initiative process that y'all broke. Supporters of Initiative 65 to legalize medical marijuana in Mississippi gathered outside the Supreme Court in Jackson yesterday in protest of a ruling that found the ballot initiative process to be unconstitutional. Later in the day, the action shifted to the front gate of the governor's mansion, where advocates voiced their support for a legislative special session to create a medical marijuana program. For many, like Bethany Hill, the legislation of medical marijuana was a reason to stay in Mississippi. She moved to Portland, Oregon at age 23, where she was prescribed cannabis-based therapies she could not get at home. She told the crowd she doesn't want to have to leave Mississippi again to get the care she needs. I don't want to leave. I love my people. I love my state. Please don't make me leave. Please fix this. Hill is an organizer with We Are the 74%, which helped organize the protest. Speaking with our Kobe Vance, she says the court's decision came as a blow to grassroots activists who helped advance the marijuana initiative. A lot of us were actually people that were out there collecting signatures for a ballot initiative 65, which, of course, as you know, isn't the first initiative to be done this way and, and go through. Um uh, so we utilized that program that had been in place, and we got an overwhelming amount of support from the Mississippi voters. And then now the Supreme Court has overturned that and um, said that we can't have it, essentially. 
and that if they are going to give it to us, they're going to adjust it, even though we all spent all of this time and effort working on this initial program. Um, so this is basically saying, you know, when 70, almost 75% of your state comes out in support of something, and you're not listening to that 75% of your constituency that supports something as vital as medicinal cannabis right now, um, it, it's time for a change, and we can't be silent anymore. We have to come together and stand up for what's right because these patients, some of them can't speak for themselves. We have to speak for them. There are cannabis refugees, if you will, that have to leave this state because their children have seizures, uh, and they have to move away from their family and friends to go to other states that have medicinal programs just so their children can live. That's not a, parent, a choice any parent should have to make. I actually had to move out west for seven years for cannabis, and without Farm Bill 2018, I probably wouldn't have been able to come home. So it's something that I had to do myself, and, and no Mississippian should ever have to make that decision. Never again. We can't stand for it, and we can't allow that to happen anymore. It's okay to be a proud Mississippian, and we love it here, and we love our neighbors, and we love who we are and how we are, and there's no reason we should have to give that up for our health. And so can you tell me, how are the, what was the mood today? How, how are people feeling while, they're, while they are out there? Um, everyone was so excited today. The rally was absolutely incredible. Um, we had so much out love and support um, coming in from everyone. Everyone is really upset and hurt that with so much work and effort put out there and with such a loud voice of so many Mississippians coming together as one saying that we want this, um, we're also kind of a little bit in shock that they, you know, they're not listening to their constituents. You know, we voted them into office so that they can do what needs to be done, and we're telling them that we need this, and they're not listening. So really, everybody's just getting really hyped up. Like, everybody was talking about how this is just the first rally and how, you know, we're going to get back together and we're going to keep at this. Um, we're going to keep going. And we're going to make them listen. Um, you know, we vote them in there to listen to us, and they're not. And that's blatantly obvious now. So we uh, just have to keep, you know, going at it and talking with them and getting to know them and then getting to know us and, and seeing why medicinal cannabis is so important. Because these legislators, a lot of them don't understand how important this is and how much it saves lives every day. Um, it's not that they don't want to know. They just haven't had a lot of time to know. And that's where a lot of our educators can come in and help explain cannabis to them. And once they start learning why it's so important and how it helps so much, um, it really starts changing the, the, you know, everything starts turning around. The tables start to turn. Uh, and that's what we just have to keep at it. And we can't be silent. We can't stop. So as signature gatherers, you mentioned that a lot of y'all were there. Um, what were y'all thoughts, you know, after gathering the signatures to get this ballot initiative uh, on the ballot and then seeing lawmakers put uh, Initiative 65A on the ballot that could have disrupted the, uh, the initiative from being adopted and then seeing Mississippians adopt, uh, vote to adopt Initiative 65 as it is and then to see the Supreme Court overturn that? What, how, what have been y'all's emotions throughout the process? Absolutely uh, devastating with what the Supreme Court did. Without question, we have all had a very, uh, it's been a very difficult week um, because a lot of us actually, um, when you get to know people and their story and med medical conditions that they're going through and everything about their journey that they're struggling with, um, it's very personal. You take all of these patient stories very, very personal. And so when you're out there and you're collecting these signatures and you're hearing these people's stories, you get this fire inside you, this fight that, oh, I want to do this for, um, 
you know, the little girl that had seizures or the wife that is suffering for cancer or the dad who is a single dad and needs to, to beat lung cancer to save his kids and is using cannabis to get through that. There's so many patient stories out there that are so important. And so we go out there and we meet all these people. We get these signatures. Everybody gets excited about it. The whole state comes together. It's miraculous. It's, it's moving. And then the Supreme Court just says no. It's, it's a level of devastation none of us thought we would have to deal with. Uh, and any legislator that's willing to stand up and fight for us for what's right, what, what 74% of this state said, we, we implore them to do so. Please step out with us and say how this is wrong and give Mississippians their cannabis. We need it. This is medicinal. It's not recreational. Bethany, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you so much, Mr. Toby. I hope you have a great day. Great day. Both Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and House Speaker Philip Gunn say they're open to a special session. Governor Tate Reeves says he is considering the option. Coming up, how a water provider in the Delta managed to do what many couldn't do during February's ice storm. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Last time on Fix It 101, okay, Bert is on the line in Indianola, and uh, apparently we told this guy to do something before, and now he's reporting back. I hope this goes well. Bert, how are you doing? Hmm. Mm. Oh, man, that is not good. No, that didn't start good, Bert. <laughs> I-, I can't tell if you don't have faith in me or you don't have faith in you. For more home improvement advice, tune in to Fix It 101 today at 9, only on MPB Think Radio. mpbonline.org slash weather is here to keep you updated to stay safe. As the only statewide radio and television broadcast network, it is our mission that you are informed and prepared before severe weather hits. mpbonline.org slash weather keeps you up to date with the latest weather news and safety tips from the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency and the National Weather Service. To be informed before the storm, visit mpbonline.org slash weather. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Keeping the water flowing. The city of Jackson made national headlines for failing to do that in February after a winter storm left thousands without water for weeks. But even under clear skies, some small rural water providers across the south struggled to deliver clean water at the turn of a tap. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports on how one Mississippi water provider found a way to change that in one of the poorest parts of the country. The Mississippi Delta is where George Reynolds calls home. In this small, unincorporated town in Washington County, having running water used to be a coin flip. And you see where we live in? We're in the rural. You're out of water, you're out of water. (laughs) You know what 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 would you do then? We had to haul some water. You had to go to town or somewhere and get some water. Lots of rural areas across the country have unreliable aging water systems, sometimes connecting just a handful of houses across dozens of miles. And as rural populations shrink, there are just fewer customers left to pay for the upkeep. Reynolds Home was on a system with less than 100 customers. But those problems got a lot better in 2017 when his water provider was taken over by a utility called Black Bayou Water Association. It's like a night and day. Black Bayou told on the water, come on. That's what I'm saying. The water keep going, keep going, keep going. The key to Black Bayou's success? 
teamwork. The utility has been connecting the tiny, unsustainable water systems around it for the last 30 years, and it's been doing it more aggressively and successfully than other water providers. Having one larger system lets the company save on costs and pool resources, says Black Bayou Water Association General Manager David Cohen. Instead of building these people a tank and these here, come right in between and build one. There are tens of thousands of water providers across the country, and in rural areas like the Deep South, they tend to be more spread out. Almost half of the water utilities across Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana have less than 1,000 customers. Last February, as a winter storm cut across the South, many providers, big and small, lost water. Not to brag, but Black Bayou didn't lose water pressure. Actually, a tiny number of his 2,700 customers did lose water, but Cohen says they got it back in half a day. The nearby city of Greenville was under a boil water notice for about a week. Cohen says they've done more than just keep the water reliable. It's also pretty clear, right out of the tap. You drink it just like this? I drink it just like that, just like this. Yeah. The Mississippi Delta is known for its naturally brown, muddy-looking water. Somebody said one time taking the brown out of this water was like taking the white out of rice. You just can't hardly do it. But it can be done. Now, there's still some brown in the water, especially at the very edge of the Black Bayou system where Robert and Lorraine Bagley live. While the color doesn't bother Robert... I mean, I have no problem drinking. No, it's not good to drink out of that. Lorraine is not a fan. I cook with it, make coffee with it and all that, but when you fill the tub up to give the children a bath, it's not clear at all. It looks like it's dirty or something. They both stick to drinking bottled water. The Bagleys and other Black Bayou customers also have higher water bills than some of their neighbors. Yes, when rural water systems team up, they usually become more efficient. But Cohen says clean, reliable drinking water still isn't cheap. Mississippi needs to wake up. We have had cheap water for years and years. Cohen says the water bills Black Bayou gives out each month are probably about $20 more expensive than from neighboring utilities. Again, this is in the Mississippi Delta, one of the poorest parts of the country. But Black Bayou customer George Reynolds says he doesn't mind paying. I wish it was cheaper, you know, but like I said, we need the water, so it is what it is. Alabama says since the 90s, it's cut its number of water utilities in half with Black Bayou-style mergers. But water infrastructure experts say a lot of rural areas do not want to do that. They just don't like handing over control of their water to outside groups. Communities usually don't give in and connect until their water system becomes so broken with so few customers left to pay, there's no other option left. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between WBHM, WWNO in New Orleans, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, C.T. Vivian's tenure as a leader of the civil rights movement took him through Jackson as a freedom rider. And today, he's posthumously recognized for his role in the city's history. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jen White with NPR. If you're fortunate enough to have collected a few classic cars over the years, here's a thought. Give them a new life by donating one or more to support this station. They'll be matched with interested buyers, collectors just like you who know a great car when they see one. You free up some space in the garage, the classic car gets a new home, and proceeds support this station. It's a win-win. Thanks in advance. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Two months ago, I had rotator cuff surgery on my left arm, and now my... uh my heart rate's gone down quite a bit. And they talk about a pacemaker, but they say with a pacemaker, when you first get it uh, put in, you can't raise your arm or something. And I've been working two months to get my arm over my head. I just wanted to look for some information on the pacemaker and, and the uh, shoulder. And there are criteria that you have to meet to get that pacemaker, and there's different types for different problems. Lower heart rates over time, uh, they can have different risks. Those are the patients that would qualify for a pacemaker. Now, it's a device, and the battery is really what takes up the most space. That usually fits in a surgically created pocket right underneath the skin in the upper chest. And then the leads, which are the wires that go to the heart, they travel underneath the skin and then through veins to the heart and they are attached exactly where they need to be in the heart. There's tons of different types of pacemakers, and it really depends on the heart's electrical systems. You sort of have to to weigh those risks. Now, Tim, in your case, you may want to have the follow-up conversation with your cardiologist to say, hey, in your best estimation, based on what you see with my particular rhythm in my heart, what's the risk of waiting until you get that arm back the way you want it? For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. I'm Tanya Mosley. Comedian Byron Allen is one of the richest men in Hollywood, and he's now expanding his broadcast TV empire with the purchase of seven local TV stations. We'll talk with him about his interest in local news and why he's taking on racism in the industry, one lawsuit at a time. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. C.T. Vivian was a preacher and activist who worked closely with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to spearhead the nonviolent civil rights movement in the Deep South. He also launched an educational program that's now known as Upward Bound. In 2013, he was recognized with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Vivian died in July of last year. In appreciation of Vivian's impact on Mississippi, Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba has proclaimed today C.T. Vivian Day in the state's capital. We talk with Vivian's daughter, Denise Morse, who remembers her father as principled and peaceful. When we got from dad was more value. I'll give you an example. I was a child, probably 12, 13, watching the Three Stooges on television. That's what kids did. They'd sit around and watch whatever came on television. And he walked in the room and he saw it and he said, oh, there's violence. I'm just tired of violence. I'm just sick of violence. And, and just kept walking. And it was from that. I didn't realize it was violence until he said it. And I turned around and, you know, when she thought about it, she went, oh, these people are kind of vile. <laughs> so <laughs> you got his, you got his uh, value more than you got lectures about the movement. He was a pastor on uh, two churches and he would be out doing the work of, um, you know, opening the cities, being in, in uh, your city or being in uh, Selma or wherever he happened to be during the week. But he came home on the weekend, and he always preached on Sunday. And so 
I would get a glimmer of what he was doing during the week by listening to his sermons, because ultimately his uh, parishioners wanted to hear what uh, was going on, you know, what he had experienced, what he had seen, we had, you know, what's happening in this city or that city. And so I would really get a glimpse of what he was doing just by listening to his sermons or what he would say uh, to his uh, parishioners. Or meetings were held at the house a lot. The, the men of the movement would all gather at each other's homes uh, for meetings. And so you could get a feel from that of what it was like. But um, mom would make sure we could not watch the evening news. She wouldn't allow it in case something terrible happened. And I would assume the other mothers of us, you know, Coretta did the same thing. I'm sure Hosea's mom, wife, did the same thing. Did your father or the family receive threats? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mom would sit up at night. Uh, You know, of course, back then, not many women worked. And when you have six children, you definitely don't work. And so she slept during the day, but at night she sat in the living room window. And so if someone threw a bomb through the window and came through shooting, she'd have a chance of, of helping us. So she she put us to bed early, and she sat up all night. I remember when we lived in Chicago, by then I was close to high school or in high school, and Dad was opening up the, the battling to open the trade union to black men. Um, we had people sleep in the living room um, and... Um, uh, to guard the house at night and start his car in the morning in case someone placed a bomb in it. You didn't mess with the trade union. <laughs> so somebody else but, had to start the car? <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he didn't have a garage. <laughs> Bombs were planted. So, yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. And Mom kept a lot of that from us. And I, when we went to his dad's home after he passed and we were going through his papers, we found lots of letters that were written to the family that threatened him. We never saw them as children, but, you know, my parents knew about them. Your father passed away last year at the age of 95, so he had a nice long life to make his mark, to make a difference in this world in regard to civil rights. What do you think he would be most proud of among his work, his works? Oh, um, he didn't talk much about himself at all. Uh, He developed a prototype for Upward Bound. He opened up trade unions to black men in, the, in, in Chicago. He, but, you know, he loved Martin King, and he loved the movement. He loved what they did, that they were fairly successful at, at you know, at least making blacks human, uh, allowing the, the society to see us as human beings. He was proud of Obama becoming president. I think probably that gave him the greatest joy. Um, receiving the Medal of Freedom, I think he was proud of. But he never bragged and never talked, so I, I, would, I could only guess. What he was proud of was having anything to do. I think that we had the first black president. He never thought he'd see it in his lifetime. And uh, gave him joy. It's also, yeah. I mean, you, you said that uh, your dad received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Well, interestingly, it was Barack Obama, it was President Obama, 
who bestowed that upon him. So that had to be a huge honor for him. It was, it was yes, uh, a huge honor. I, I remember we were at the White House. And, uh, Daddy just sat in the chair and he was watching all the people. Just had a smile on his face. You know, after he got the award and we were just in the um, eating afterwards, and he, he was just happy. Just um, it was just a wonderful time. I, I, I remember sitting there watching him and thinking he he got his reward. You know that he's been rewarded. He didn't care about the medal, but he cared about his children being in the White House and seeing it and meeting President Obama. And he, he cared about that, and it was, I think he gave him a lot of joy. My mother didn't live to see that. She passed away um, nine years before him. But And, I, and I, we all wish that she had been there, uh, but he, he was happy. Well, today is another special day. It's C.T. Vivian Day in Jackson. We welcome you to Mississippi, and thank you so much for being with us, Ms. Morris. Oh, thank you for the interview. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.